Thanks for joining us today. God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we want to hear about it. Take a second and send your story to amen at citychurchfl.org. And if you'd like to partner with this ministry financially, you can do that by going to citychurchfl.org give and select the giving option that works best for you. Once again, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. Hey, we're in our series entitled, Heal Our Land. Everyone say, Heal Our Land. And if you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to 2 Chronicles. Excuse me. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 35 and 2 Chronicles. But Genesis chapter 35, we're going to read verses 1 through 7 this morning. And I want you to stand in the honor of reading God's word. Genesis chapter 35, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. And then we're going to look at 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Heal our land. Uh, the first week of the series, we talked about heal our hearts. The, the fact is, is that our hearts have a tendency to get divided. We, we leak as believers, and God wants to heal a divided heart. And we talked about God healing our hearts. The, last week, we talked about God healing our church, healing the racial divide that takes place within Christian communities, but also in the culture at large. And if you didn't get an opportunity to see that message and to listen to the panel, it was one of the best, I've heard from many people, one of the best kind of communications on race in America and how we can bridge the gap and partner together to walk with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And today, we're going to speak to you on the topic of heal our home, heal our home. Genesis chapter 35, we're going to read just a portion of the story of a man by the name of Jacob and his life. And the Bible says, then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there. And build an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all. Everyone say all. all. The foreign gods. And they, had the, and they had the rings in their ears. And Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out. And the terror of God fell on the towns. All. Everyone say all. all. Around them. So that no one pursued them. Jacob and. All. Jacob and. All. all the people with him came to Luz. That is Bethel in the land of Canaan. And there he built an altar. And he called the place El Bethel because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Let's pray. Father, in these next few moments, thank you for that grace that's been so evident. Thank you that you are the God that has already encountered us as we've been lifted up our voice to you. God, for those who came with a heart's desire to be filled, we thank you that you are filling their heart this morning. For those this morning that came and maybe they are discouraged, maybe they are experiencing some sort of depression in their life, we thank you that it's in this atmosphere that the burdens of our life are lifted. We thank you, Lord, that we can counter you in worship, but we are changed through your word. So for every person in this room, give them a spiritual ear to hear. God, let it go from the ears to the heart. And Lord, one more time, for an audience of one, Help me to declare the truth of who you are and your word to this generation. God, I pray that you will bless, bless your people, touch their hearts. God, I pray that we will leave this place different than we came. We ask this in Jesus' wonderful and mighty name. And everyone said? 
Amen. You may be seated. Heal our land. God, heal our homes. Have you ever got lost before? Have you ever got, like, like, really lost before? Like, so lost, you land at the MCO airport. It's your very first time to Orlando. You come as a tourist with your two little boys. You've flown from Seattle to Central Florida. You have no idea where you're at, but you've always had the dream from the time that you're a little child that you're going to go to Disney World. So you get pack up your little rental car, and you get on your, your first toll road experience of your life. Everyone say lost. Lost. Dazed and confused. Two o'clock in the morning, you're looking for the Holiday Inn. You pull over to the side of the road and you ask one of the young men that, that, that happens to stop to give you some assistance. You say, do you know where the local Holiday Inn is? He says, which one? There's 50 in this city. Lost. Lost. Two o'clock in the morning, up one freeway, you run out of change. You, you somehow you make your way around, you find yourself going back the other way on the same freeway, and then another freeway. Now it's three o'clock in the morning with two little boys in the back crying, and where's the Holiday Inn? You find yourself on I-4 in Haines City, far from Orlando. You don't even care about the Holiday Inn anymore. You just want a place to sleep. So you pull in and you get your local hotel. Everyone say lost. I was lost. You know, the fact is we've all experienced lostness at some point of our life. We've, we've tried to find a location, couldn't find it. You know, in our home, it was that marital moment at 3 o'clock in the morning, one full of joy, one that we hope to live again. You know, the fact is that isn't the way it was, is it? Uh, in that moment, there was frustration and discouragement and anger. All kinds of emotions were taking place as we were trying to find the place that we were supposed to be. In our story this morning, there's a man by the name of Jacob, and Jacob is lost. Everyone say lost. Now, Jacob's knowing God. Jacob has had an encounter with God, but, you know, the stuff of life and the cares of life and, you know, pursuit of business success and attaining wives and women. I, I once said that Jacob had too many women in the kitchen. I mean, too many women in, in, in his bed. I mean, the real problem with Jacob is that he had too much complication in his world. And because of the choices that he made, he ended up with 12 sons and a few daughters, and his life was extremely complicated. Uh, Jacob had an encounter with God. He was a, a, the son of Isaac, the, who was the son of Abraham, the father of all faith. Jacob had a real encounter. Jacob really, really knew God, but he drifted. He got lost. He, he left that experience, and although he had been changed, he would go out and pursue life on his own, and living life on his own for the next 30 years brought a lot of problems, and it brought a lot of pain. You see, his sons, although they knew about their daddy's faith, they, they, they didn't worship the God of their daddy's faith. They lived for themselves. They, as a matter of fact, their lives were even more complicated than Jacob's lives. You see, the name Jacob means deceiver or tricky one. Deceiver or tricky one. And Jacob had lived a life. He was known as a manipulator, and he manipulated events and circumstances and and his children had caught on to that about their father, and they lived lives that are manipulators. They, they were sleeping with the wrong people. They were cheating people. They, they were conniving and lying. And at one point, one of their sisters, one of their sisters by the name of Dinah, gets raped. His two oldest sons, Simeon and Levi, they are ticked off. 
How could this happen to our family? Uh, when I read the story of Jacob, it kind of reminds me of the, the Kardashian family and the Baldwin brothers, like, getting together. I mean, everyone say crazy. Just crazy. I mean, crazy family. Uh, when you read the first few pages of your Bible, if you think the Bible is boring, just read the few first few chapters of the Bible. Everyone say crazy. Just crazy stuff. You're like, are you kidding me? You know, but the fact is, many of us come from crazy families. I got a crazy family. I, I grew up in a home. My parents loved the Lord, but I had cousins. They were far from God. As a matter of fact, I, I have three cousins today that are in prison, first cousins that are in prison for life. You don't get prison for life unless you do some really bad things. So I know brokenness. I know pain. And the pain of this family, the pain of this family that they were about to cause would bring such shame and humiliation to Jacob that he realized that his home needed a healing. He realized his home needed a healing. You see, what had happened is that their sister had been raped by a young man. His father was the ruler of a community, the Shechemite people. And the Shechemite people, they were pagan people. They didn't worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and this young man whose father was the king, this young man met Dinah, fell in love with her, and he took sexually advantage of her. Everyone say Kardashian family. Kardashian. Broke Kardashian, thank you. Thank you. Usually it's my wife on the front row correcting me. You know, she holds a scorecard up at the end of the service for me, all right? You got that word wrong. You told us no. I'm not even going to say their name anymore. Forget it. But wanted to extract revenge. They, they made a contract, a, a deal with, with this young man. And they said, you go back to your father and you tell him, okay, well, we'll let you marry our sister. We'll let you marry the women of our tribe, of, of our family, of our community. And, and we'll marry your women and we'll have trade and commerce and we'll do those kinds of things. We'll do business together. But all the men in your community got get, got to get circumcised. Ever say, what? You got to get what? And that's exactly what that guy said. But he was so, he thought he was so in love with Dinah that he was willing to go back and he was able to talk all the guys in his community. You know what, guys? Hey, listen, it's going to be a great deal for us. A couple days of pain, but long-term gain. You know, no pain, no gain. A couple days of pain, long-term gain. We get their beautiful women. We can do business with them. Great. It's going to be a great mutual agreement. And so all the men in the community agreed to get circumcised. Everyone say crazy. crazy. Levi and Simeon had another plot. They had another plan, a twisted, deceived plan, and they would go in, and, and the, when, the, when the men were hurting at their lowest point, they went in, and they killed all the men in the community. These guys were bad. They were evil. You see, God had called Abraham, God had called Isaac, God had called Jacob to be a blessing to the nations. These men were anything but a blessing. As a matter of fact, everywhere they went, their life was causing bummers causing pain in other people's life. They weren't a blessing. You see, they were called to be champions for the cause, champion for the call of God. But other people were cursing their name. You see, they weren't living the life that God had destined for them. They weren't following the path that God had laid out for them. The reality is they had just followed their father. You see, their father had strayed from the ways of God. He took a detour. 
He was living for himself. It, it was like a lot of us. Uh, you know, we believe in God. We give lip service to God. We know how to come in and get our praise on. And, but when we leave, when we leave, we forget. And we live for ourselves and make decisions without asking God. And we become like practical atheists. We believe in God. We give lip service to God. But do we really seek God? Do we really ask God the way that we're to go? You know, Jacob was, was in a place, and because of this, he realized his family was messed up. Jacob realized that, that when this took place in his home, when this took place, the reality of God's presence really wasn't with him. God wasn't present with him. God wasn't really guiding his family, and he was brokenhearted. And it's in that moment... In that moment that Jacob realizes that he's far from God, God comes to him. Look at verse number 1 of chapter 35. And the Bible says, then God said. Then God said. Not CNN said. Not MSNB said. Not Fox News said. Not CNBC said. God said. Not even James. Not even Peter. Not even Paul. God. God himself spoke. To Jacob, God spoke. God speaks to his people today. You see, God initiated this relationship with Jacob. You are here in this room today by no coincidence, by no accident. I don't care how far, you know, how far you think you are from God, whether you believe in God or don't believe in God, you're not here by accident. See, God initiates a relationship with mankind. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish. Jesus said it like this in John's gospel. No one can come to me. No one can come to Jesus unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up on that last day. The fact that you are here today listening to this message of good news tells me that God was working in your life. God was drawing you to himself. See, God initiated the response. God initiated this, this call to Jacob, but he also spoke to Jacob very personally. Look what he says here in verse number one. Then God said to Jacob, talking to you. Jacob, whose name meant tricky one or, or deceiver, would have an encounter with God. You see, when I look at this man, I, I look at a man who the, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, the Bible says, but now says the Lord, he who created you, oh, Jacob. He who created you, Jacob. God made Jacob. Isaiah was a prophet who lived almost 1,300 years. 1,300 years. Our nation is only 240 years old. 1,300 years later. God has a people who identify themselves with their spiritual father, Jacob. God spoke to him. God initiated this call, and he calls him by name. I formed you. I've redeemed you. You are mine. The moment you come to Christ, the moment you respond to that initiation of the Holy Spirit in your life, you are not a child of God. He's now calling you by your name. Later in the story, God would actually change Jacob's name. You see, when God saw Jacob, he didn't just see a man who was a deceiver or a tricky one. That's the way that people saw him. That's the way that his family saw him. That's the way that his brothers saw him. That's the way that his neighbors saw him. 
But that's not the way that God saw him. God saw him as Israel. You see, God would change his name from Jacob, one who is tricky or deceptive or a deceiver, to the man who would be called Israel. Israel, the one who contended with God. He contended. He wrestled with God. And the Bible says, and God prevailed. God prevailed. You see, God will prevail in your life today. Philippians 1, 6 says it like this. He that has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. If God has begun the work in you, God will complete the work that he started in your life. God begun the work 30 years later. 30 years later, God would come back to Jacob. And he would call him by his name. Get up, Jacob. Go to Bethel. Go to the house of God. The name Bethel, the the word Bethel literally means the house of God or the place of God. Jacob, go back to the place where you first encountered me. See, 30 years before this, Jacob had encountered God. He had a real revelation of God. I mean, he really knew there was joy. There was victory. He got up with the word. He got up. He knew that he encountered the living God, the God who spoke and hung the heavens in place, the God who spoke and the the earth came into form, the God who spoke, the God who spoke and all of creation was made. The God, the God who has always been and always will be became his God that day. And God takes Jacob all the way back. He says, Jacob, I want you to go back. I want you to go back to that place. Maybe you're here today and you've known God and you've had encounters with God and you love the Lord, but you drifted. And God says, I want you to come back. You know, he told the church at Ephesus, you've forgotten your first love. Repent and return to the place where you started. That simplicity of faith, that childlike faith. Where, uh, where you're driving down the street and you've just come to the Lord. You've just known his saving grace. And the trees look so beautiful. The grass has never been so green. So God wants you to stay in that place. That simplicity of faith where Jesus said, like a child. That simplicity of faith where you know that God sees, God cares, God loves. Go up to, go up to Bethel. Go up to Beth, Bethel. I want to meet with you again. Come up to my house, the house of God. The psalmist David said it like this. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of God. Let us go to where God's presence is. Let us dwell in the presence of the Lord. This one thing I seek, this one thing I desire, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever dwelling in his presence, the house of God, the presence of God. You see, the Old Testament, they would build a temple, they would build a tabernacle and a temple that would be a place where the presence of God would reside in the Holy of Holies. But when Jesus went to the cross, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, the separation from God to man, that that, that, that reality that people could only come to one place to have an encounter with God, the Bible says that it was torn, it was broken. And in that moment, in that very moment, when Jesus paid the price and the penalty for your sin and my sin, he has given every person on planet Earth direct access to the living God. Come back to me. Come back to me. 
And God is crying out to Jacob, come back to Bethel and settle there. Dwell there. Rest there. Rest in my presence. I love the way the message translation, Jesus says, come unto me, all you that are hungry and thirsty. The message translation says, come to me and I will teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. You're tired. You're burnt out. You're weary. Life is hard. Come back to me. It's in his presence. When that reality of who he is. And God wakes you up at 3 o'clock in the morning and you don't know why. But he just wants to talk to you. He just wants to talk to you. See, there have been a lot of pain and a lot of problems that Jacob was trying to navigate in his life. But God comes to him. Come back to me, Jacob. Come back to me. And build an altar there to your God. Build an altar. Altars were places where people would worship God. They would take stones or they would take bricks. And God's pattern was that you couldn't use any tools. They weren't to be very ornate. They were just to be a simple place where you could worship God. A simple place where you could offer a sacrifice to God. A simple place where you could just obey God in obedience to what he's called you to do. Altar. Build an altar. A place of worship to God. A place of praise to God. A place where your expression of your love and your thanksgiving. You see, an altar isn't a one-time experience. If you're going to dwell and live in his presence... It isn't just a daily experience. It's got to be reality that God is with you every moment of your experience. Build an altar to God. Worship him. Make a sacrifice. In Old Testament times, they would offer up sacrifice of animals, and they would shed blood. They would pour it out on top of the pillar of rocks or upon the stone that they had there as a monument to God. Paul the apostle says, no, no longer is it the bull, blood of bulls and goats. It's now us. I beseech you, brethren, on the behalf of the mercies of God, offer your body, your body as a living sacrifice on the altar of God. It's a place of worship. It's a place of sacrifice. It's a, a place of obedience. God was calling Jacob back to a place of obedience. Obey me. Follow me. I'm with you. I haven't forgotten you. You see, it is better to obey God than offer all the sacrifices of your praise or of your financial monies. God says, obey me. Every dad in this room, every dad in this room, recognize today God is speaking to you. You see, Jacob was the father of his home, and God was calling him back. And in just a little while, we're going to see what happens in response to Jacob responding to God. But dad's in this room. Young men in this room, moms in this room, single people in this room, older people in this room, younger people in this room. God is calling us back to the place of worship, to the altar of sacrifice, a place of obedience to worship him. And then the change takes place. Here's the change. See, God does his part. God initiates the response, but here's our part. Look at verse number two with me. The Bible says, so Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, 
Jacob speaks to him. He takes leadership. He rises up. He takes responsibility for the spiritual growth of his family. Dads, moms, you're a single mom in the room, and there's not a man necessarily every day in your world in your life, and you're going to have to really turn to God. You're going to have to let the father be the father to the children, to the, to the widows and to the orphans. You're going to have to let your heavenly father come alongside of you and help you parent your, child, your children. To the men in this room, maybe your children aren't even living with you today. You still have a responsibility to lead the way spiritually. See, your kids see you. Your kids watch you. Your kids look at your life. I, I, I've, I've seen this so many times, and I know this for, for, as a reality in my own experience. One's generation revival becomes the next generation's religion, becomes the next generation's rejection of God. If the altar of God isn't being offered in your home, if the praise and the prayer of God isn't being offered in your home on a consistent basis, your kids will see the inconsistencies, they'll see the brokenness, they'll see that you don't really believe what you say or what you preach or what the preacher talks about, and then your kids will say, you know what, that's good for you, but that's not good for me. Our generation is full of that today. Come on, amen. And God is calling. God is calling us back to him. Jacob challenges his family, get rid, cast off your idols, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you. Get rid of it. Get rid of the foreign gods that we've allowed into our home. Jacob had allowed them. He'd allowed them through his own wife, Rachel. He'd allowed the foreign gods, the ways of the world to come into his home. In Jacob's day, they would make little idols out of wood. They would fashion them and make of them and One of the gods that they carved and made was the the god Mammoth, who represented the love, represented the god of wealth and prosperity and blessing. Another god that they made in their generation was the god Ashtoreth, who who was the god of the worship of sex and sexual pleasure. Another god that they made in their generation was the god Bel. He was the god of the intellect. And then Moloch was one of the most famous gods of the region of their generation. He was the God of pleasure. The God of pleasure. Every single one of these gods required a sacrifice. You see, we are natural born worshipers. People say that they're atheists. People say they don't believe in God. They believe in something. They believe in their own intellect. They believe in their own humanity. They believe in their own, whatever they believe in, they believe in something. It's impossible not to believe in something or you couldn't exist as a human being. John Calvin said it like this, every one of us, even from his mother's womb, is a master craftsman of idols. We're constantly seeking pleasure. We're constantly seeking fulfillment. We're seeking it in success. success. We're, We're seeking it in some kind of spiritual experience. We're seeking it in sexual pleasures. We're constantly seeking to be fulfilled. Our need met, our gratification met. And those things that we are seeking, if it's not seeking the living God, quickly become idols in our life. Our culture today, you, it's sometimes, it's, it, you know, in a church, in our culture, we don't necessarily worship idols that are made of hands and stone, or wood and stone, but idols are all around us. There are idols even in our own hearts. We're prone to wander. We're prone to allow the idols of this world to take, capture, to take capture of our own human experience. Tim Keller, he said it like this. He said, we must become... Jesus must become more beautiful to our imagination. 
more attractive to our heart than our idol. That is what we replace our counterfeit gods. You know, we try to moralize, just stop it. And we try to psychologically express it and that we just need a higher self-actualization or self-esteem. Or we can just receive the gospel, the message of hope. The gospel says your problem is that you're looking to something beside Christ to be your happiness, security, significance, and meaning. The writer of Hebrews says it like this. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish at the end with God. Focus on Christ. The focus is Jesus. And then he says, purify yourselves. Look at verse number two. Purify yourselves. Cleanse yourself. Change your clothes. Change your clothes. When the word cleanse or washing is in reference there, we we think of the power of the word of God. You see, we worship God in spirit, but we receive revelation of who he is through the truth of his word. Paul the apostle said it to the church like this, that he, Jesus, might sanctify and cleanse her, the body of Christ, with the washing of water by the word. Your time with God in the word, the simplicity of God of just reading the Bible. I would encourage everyone, it's still the beginning of the year, get a Bible reading plan. If, if you don't use version or you don't, you don't do a Bible app, there's all kinds of programs on the internet that will take you through the Bible in a year. I encourage you today, allow God's word to bring transformation and change to your heart today. And then look at verse number three with me. Then the Bible says, he said, then come, let us go to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. Jacob challenges his family. You see, it was at Bethel where he first encountered God. He wants his family to have that same experience. He wants his family to know that same reality of who God is in his life. Look at how he expresses it. The God who has been with me wherever I've gone. Whatever your experience has been, he's been with you. You see, Jacob was running from Esau when he first encountered God. God was with me. As a young man, I was in a car full of individuals driving down the road. The driver was intoxicated out of his mind. He drove speedily across a busy intersection right through a stoplight and never stopped. A truck missed us by two inches. God was with me. I was driving down a mountain highway, 95 miles an hour in a 25-mile-an-hour zone. I crashed into the guardrail. I slid down the road about 150 feet. When my car finally came to the stop, I was out of my mind, angry and mad at God. I look back 32 years later, and I recognize that God was with me. You see, I I don't know today why we are here in this room necessarily, but God does. And as long as we are breathing breath, as long as we are breathing air, God still has a purpose. God still has a plan. God hasn't forgotten you. God knows everywhere, everything, every place, every circumstance, every situation, every person that comes into your life and world. And then listen to the response to their dad. Their dad's had an encounter. Their dads had an encounter. They see it. People know it. 
D.L. Moody used to say, you know, light one man on fire. I'd rather watch one man lit on fire and burn than see a hundred people just stand there looking like they're lost in the dark. One crazy person for God. Give me one person who's encountered. There's something infectious about passion. There's something infectious about people that are excited about God. There's something infectious about a church that knows how to worship, that knows how to encounter God until his presence and reality comes and fills the place. There's something about it. Just a couple of weeks, the New England Patriots are going to be in the Super Bowl again. And there are crazy people. Minus 10 degree weather. They're out there, no top on. Painted in blue. I don't care what happened to Tom Brady's hand last week. Tom Brady's going to be in the Super Bowl. And there's going to be 80,000 people who are fanatics. And if you were in that room, if you were in that stadium, you would feel the energy. You would feel it. (laughs) I'm not preaching a victory here. saw something in their dad and their response is that they okay dad we're going to follow you we're going to follow the God that you serve and they gave all their foreign gods they gave all their gunk they gave all their junk even their earrings like that's a really weird passage honestly theologians don't even know what it means but you know what it meant to them it meant the ways of the world that they were living in it it meant the generation and the culture that they were living in they're going to you know God We're not going to go that way. We're going to even give you our earrings. You know why I think the Lord left this verse in there? He left it in there for me. Because, see, when the Holy Spirit convicts us today, the Holy Spirit, I'm not the convictor today. We don't do a lot of clothesline preaching here, although the Bible has a lot of clothesline opportunities. You know what that means? Listing all the sins. The fact is, you know, you know in your spirit, if you're a child of God, you don't always know, but you generally know when you miss it because you have the Holy Spirit. He's your convictor and he's your teacher and he shows us the right way and the wrong way. But I was 21, 22 years of age. I just came to the Lord. I'd gotten radically saved. And, and when I was uh, a young man, I was in the clubs and, and, and I remember one day I was in the mirror brushing my teeth and combing my hair. <laughs> I can still see that day. I asked my wife yesterday, I said, you know, when I get to heaven, am I going to have hair or no hair? I want hair. I want the, I want the hairy Eugene. <laughs> I was looking in the mirror, and when I was in the clubs, I used to wear these gold chains, because I, go Johnny Joe. Go Johnny Travolta. And I was in the, I was just looking in the mirror, and the Holy Spirit said, take those chains off. So he said, I mean, it was, I remember I was brushing my teeth and I hear this voice. I think it's my mom. So I kind of poked my head out of the bathroom. Mom, do you say anything? It wasn't my mom. My dad wasn't home. It was the Holy Spirit. And he was telling me, I don't want you to identify with that way of life anymore. Second Corinthians 5, 17 says, all things have passed away. All things have become new. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. He has a new path and a new way. A life of abundance, a life of blessing. God came, and their lives were touched, and their lives were changed. And in that prophetic moment, they took off their earrings, and they came home to God. 
Verse number five says, they, and then they set out, and the terror of God on all the towns were around them, so that no one pursued them. So they came back to God, and God now was their protector. The writer of Hebrews says it like this, so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid of what mere mortals can do to me. God is our helper today. The terror, as a matter of fact, the word terror there in the Hebrew, it's the only place in the whole Hebrew Bible that it's ever used. It's a strong word. The fact is the moment you surrender fully to God, when you wake up in the morning, the devil says, oh no, he just got up and got out of bed. You see, the fact is, when you understand who you are in Christ and the authority that you have in him, no scorpion or serpent shall harm you. He has given you authority. He's given you spiritual authority in God. You are no longer now living the life of a victim, bouncing around from problem to pain. Now you are called by Christ to be more than a victor, more than a conqueror, more than a champion, more than an overcomer. Someone said amen this morning. And then in verse number 6, the Bible says, Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, came to Bethel, the house of God, in the land of promise. The land of promise. God has a promise for you today. There's a good land. It's not a physical land. It's a spiritual land. It's the land of love and joy, and righteousness, and peace in the Holy Spirit today, in his presence. It's a good place, back at the altar. Jacob went all the way back to where he first encountered God, to where he first met the Lord. He had drifted. It's so easy to drift. I woke up this morning thinking of my own life, how easy it is to get off course. 32 years in the way. I know the own, my own struggles and my own challenges and my own frailties. I know them better than anyone except for my wife. <laughs> I know my heart. And I know that I need to have it in daily. I know that I need to have an in da a daily altar moment with God. I've gone those days, I've even gone those weeks where I haven't had that encounter. Frustration, anger, everybody else is an idiot. I've had all those kinds of things take place in my Christian journey. But I know that when I get in his presence, there's a fullness of joy that only God can give. There's a reality that he really is with me today. He really is with you. He hasn't forgotten you today. You know, Jacob made a vow 30 years before. He said, he said, if, if you, God, do this and this and this, then I will serve you. And guess what? God did this and this and this. And Jacob didn't serve him. Jacob made a vow. Jacob forgot his vow. But God never did. You've forgotten your prayers. All the time you told God, I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. I'll never say it again. I'll never make that mistake again. And you go and do it again. You said, God, you, God has heard all the times. You said, oh, God, if you do this, and I'll do this, 
And then you go on your way and you forget what God hasn't forgot. And God's calling us back as a congregation. God's calling us back as dads and moms and single people and grandparents. God's calling us back to the place of Bethel where we can build an altar to him. Build an altar. Not an altar made with the hands of men, but the altar made with the hand of God who took this stony, hard heart and took it, turned it into a heart of flesh, a place where he would inhabit, where he would dwell, where he would live. Today, God is calling us back to him. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, we close our eyes right in this moment. And we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us today. Right in this moment, right in this atmosphere, we allow God's Spirit to speak to our hearts. God cares. God loves. God knows God knows where you're at. Some of us, we're, so we're okay with God today. Ah, there's always, there's always a moment. There's always an opportunity to have a fresh encounter with God. Peter stood, preached before 5,000 people people were encountering the Holy Spirit, not at the altar made of the hands of stone, of men, but the altar of God in their heart. Peter said to them, repent, every one of you, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped out in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. God wants to refresh you today. God wants to reveal you. God wants to restore the fire, the passion, the love. Every eye closed, every head bowed. You're in this room, and maybe you don't know this God. You know about the God of Jacob. You've heard about it. You've been to church before. Maybe you've never been in a church. Maybe you just stumbled into this room, and this is all completely foreign to you. you got to hear this today. It wasn't an accident. You might understand everything that's taking place in this room, but God understands everything about you, and he loves you, and he's calling you to himself, and he wants you to give all of you that you know to all of him that you know today, whether it's a little or a lot. God wants all of us. You're in this room. You've been a Christ follower. Maybe you've had some missional drift. Maybe just stuff, and you started off, even 2018, you're going to do the Daniel fast, where you found yourself, you gave in, and man, it just got distracted, and you've just gone on, and God just saying, come back to me. Let's build an altar here again today. Let's build an altar here today. You're in this room, and you say, you know what, Pastor? I want to build a fresh altar for the presence of God to dwell today. If that's you in this room, on the count of three, will you raise your hand? One, two, three. Come on in this room right now. You want to build an altar of your life back to God today. I want us to stand together, the worship team, as they begin to sing. They begin to lead us in this song, a song of worship. And I'm going to invite you this morning. You raised your hand. You didn't raise your hand in this atmosphere. God spoke to your heart. At the altar, God spoke to Jacob. In the altar moment of your life right now, in the atmosphere of worship, God wants to speak to you. Right where you're at. You can kneel, you can come to the altar, you can come to what we call an altar, just the front of the stage, and you can kneel before your God. But all across this room, I want us to build altars of sacrifice and worship to God as they begin to sing. Come on, let's worship the Lord this morning.